Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scale and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the ways understanding? To him then, uh, will you comp- to whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him? Says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded uh, by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, it's a blessing uh, just to hear your proclamation of your immeasurable greatness. Father, as we consider um, just how astounding you are, there are literally no limits uh, to how amazing you are. Father, thank you that you've made yourself known. Uh, Were it left up to us and our own um, logic or uh, self-discovery, God, we would never be able to fathom just how incredible you are. God, thank you that you have spoken, that you continue to speak, that you've given us your word and you've invited us to know you truly. God, this, this uh, next few months especially, and even in these next few minutes, as we seek to know you as you truly are, God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, you'd open up our hearts, you'd help our, 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 our minds to expand, to just begin to comprehend how great, how far, how wide, how deep is your love, how astounding you are. Lord, bless this time, even as we prepare uh, to receive the, the bread and the cup that you sent your son to Uh, ordained for us as we prepare for that, God. We pray that our hearts would be ready and would be eager uh, to see you and to worship you through the table. Bless the time we share in Christ's name. Amen. This morning I want to ask you uh, how how well, how how closely you know your own limitations. Do you know how limited of a person that you are? We have uh, uh, maybe a love-hate relationship with our limitations in that uh, we spend a lot of our lives kind of getting less limited, getting better at things. You don't remember when you were born, but you've watched young kids. When we are born, we can do nothing, basically, right? And then gradually over time, kids learn all kinds of things. They learn how to crawl. They learn how to walk. They learn how to talk. And so from basically most of our lives, at least the first few decades, we are growing and, and getting better and better at things. Things that formerly were impossible become possible. We push back the limits 
on what is impossible with every new skill that we learn to be able to do. At one point, I couldn't wakeboard, and then I figured out how to wakeboard. At one point, you know, we couldn't drive a car, and then you learn how to drive a car. Maybe you manage a company or manage finances, whatever else it was. At one point, you couldn't do it. You got better at it. You learned a skill. You learned to trade. And there's something that previously was impossible and now is possible. You have moved the limit. There was a limit to what was possible. And you have pushed it out. You have pushed it further out so that more things become possible. I think God created us that way. He could have started us out at day one able to do lots of things. But by the fact that He created us as basically completely incompetent babies, infants, and, and built our lives in such a way that we would grow. I think there's a, a metaphor there for our, our sanctification, becoming more like Christ, that we grow and we get, we get better and better. And those are, those are good things. However, one of the myths we believe, in our generation I believe, is that we can keep pushing that limit of what's possible forever. We believe because of technology and because of advancement, that maybe not in our generation, but, but eventually we are just going to keep going and the limit to what is possible will always keep getting pushed out further and further. I want to proclaim to you from God's Word, that's not true. You and I have limits. And that's a really good thing. It is a really good thing that we cannot do everything. People can do some pretty amazing things. I have this little glass and metal box in my pocket that if somebody else has one, like in China, we can talk at the same time and even see each other. That's amazing. We can do amazing things like build telescopes that can see billions of light years away. I don't even understand what billions of light years mean, but that's just what they tell me is we can see these galaxies. People tell me we have these microscopes that can go all the way down and see the individual cells of our bodies. Hum humans Humanity, we can do some pretty amazing things, but we can't do everything, and that's a really good thing. We have limits, like it or not, and we will spend our lives pushing up against, bumping up against those limits. And I ask you, what do you do when you bump up against those limits? I, if you have a personality like me, I, I get very frustrated with my limitations. Doesn't matter what I do, I always want to do one thing better. Like if I get really gung-ho one day and I run an eight-minute mile, I'm frustrated that I didn't run a seven-minute mile, you know? If I lifted 100 pounds, I want to lift 125 pounds. If I, whatever I do, if I get three things done, I'm disappointed I didn't get four things done, right? We have, we all have limits, physical limits, mental limits, time limits, money limits. What do you do when you hit up against those limits? Do you just live ambitiously, just trying to get better and better? Do you get frustrated? Do you get, go into despair? Can you find some kind of contentment in our limitations? Along the way, I wonder if we could ask, why did God make us this way? Why did God make us with limitations? What was His purpose? Why are there some pretty clear boundaries about what we can and can't do? Why did God make us with these limitations? This, this fall, we are inviting you into a little bit different kind of series, sermon series, uh, here at Infinity, where instead of walking straight through a book, we're taking a really important topic, namely God, and studying Him across all of Scripture. And we're studying His attributes, His characteristics, 
what God is like. We started last week, not really with an attribute, but more of his nature, talking about how God is Trinity. God is three in one. And so today we, we begin into the, the attributes themselves. And depending on who you read, you can divide these up any number of ways. God cannot be categorized into nice little neat folders that we can you know, ni- nicely understand, right? God, God is the compilation of all the things we're going to say this fall and way more, of course. But, but theologians across time, have, have, ever since Christ, have taken to understand, can we, can we like, a, like holding up a diamond, are there, there are different facets of understanding God is, and as we describe each facet, do we see His beauty reflected even more? So today I want to come to this facet of God who has no limits. As we come to the Bible and as we come to thinking about the way we, our own lives, we, we read things like Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us God put eternity into man's heart. C.S. Lewis wrote famously, we have this, if we have inside of us a longing, uh, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I'm made for another world. We, we bump up against these limits in our lives and money and time and energy and space and these, all these things, and we have to realize there must be something better. If we, weren't, if we were not frustrated by the limits, then, then there, must, there might not be anything else out there. But that very frustration is one more little, one more little, little uh, hint that there's something better. Something better. In Isaiah chapter 40 where we're getting the, the, the title for our series. He, in verse 9, the prophet invites us, Behold your God. Just down a little further in verse 12, we read this about God. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? You can hear how Isaiah is searching for words to describe how God doesn't have the same limitations you and I have. If you and I tried to go and measure all the waters and all the oceans and all the lakes, where would we even start? How would you begin to get a, a, an exact, precise measurement of all the contours of the ocean and all the physics and geometry it would take to understand what volume of water fits here? Some, you know, I don't know who figured this out. One estimate somebody came up with, according to Google. We taught this to our kids during Kidfinity, uh, Camp Kidfinity this summer. So I came up with all kinds of fun things for them. But the estimate they came up with was, was 33 million cubic miles. That's how much water is on the ocean, which is like a lot. <laughs> or he says about the, the mountains, that God can weigh the mountains in scales. So like you and I would, would step on a, on a scale and just read the number. It's that easy for us to see how much we weigh. God can do that with Mount Everest. Again, if we tried to get that exact, it'd be impossible. But if I Googled it, if you just kind of made it a cone, you know, something you could easily take the, take the volume of and then take the weight from there. If you assumed, you know, the density was perfect, all those things that I don't really understand. The number they came up with was 357 trillion pounds. And the way I made that to our kids, the way I made that number a little more accessible is that I figured out that was equivalent to 27 million elephants. <laughs> that's how heavy Mount Everest is. And that's just a guess. And God can look at the, all the water in the ocean. And you know what it takes him to measure it? It says the, the hollow of his hand, which is just like the palm. That's God. 
All the oceans? Yeah, that's right. It fits right there. How does, he measure, how does he measure Mount Everest and all the Himalayas and all the Alps and all the other mountains, all the Rocky Mountains? He just puts it on the scales and tells you how much it weighs. That's God. You see what Isaiah is going for here. He's big. And he doesn't have the same limitations you and I have. Jen Wilkins summarizes it this way. Who has measured everything? God has. Who has measured God? Nobody. Nobody. So my invitation to you today as we think about this God is that we would worship our limitless God and recognize that He has gifted you and me with limits. Worship our limitless God who gifted us with limits. He is infinite. We are finite. And that is a tremendous blessing. That is a gift from the Lord that He is infinite and you and I are not called to be. We have the freedom. We have been freed up from being infinite. Praise God. God is infinite, meaning He has no limits. Stephen Charnock, one of those great theologians and writers about the attributes of God, said, whatever God is, He is infinitely so. Whatever conception comes into our minds when we think about God, God is more than that. Stretch your mind as much as you want, and you haven't even begun to grasp our limitless God. He is infinite. Herman Bovnik, another great theologian, said, God is unlimited in His virtues. In every virtue that is present in God, He has it to an absolute degree. So he is in, His infinity amounts to His perfection. So God isn't just holy. He is infinitely holy. God isn't just loving. He is infinitely loving. There is not a speck of God's being who is less holy or, or that is less loving. God is, has, has holiness, love, and all His attributes completely all the way throughout His nature. You don't catch God on a bad day and miss out on the holiness because He's not holy after, you know, before He has His morning coffee, like me, right? God is infinitely holy, infinite. God is infinite in every way. You never arrive to some location and look up and go, oh, we, we, God's not here. He was back there before we took the exit, but He's not, he's not here, right? God, God is, you're never going to reach a moment in time where God is, is distracted. Like uh, Elijah uh, teases the prophets of Baal. Is, is, God, is, your, is Baal out you know, doing something? Is he using the restroom? Like, is he, he's, he's distracted or something. God never happens to God. God. God, you never come up to a challenge or an obstacle in life where God doesn't have the power to overcome it. God, you never get something too big or too hard for God. You're never going to learn something and God, so God say, huh, I didn't know that. You're never going to study God and, and go so deep into Him and then wrap it up, close the book and say, yeah, I reached the end. I learned all there is to know about God. He is infinite. He has no limits. You can't get to some boundary and say that's the end of God. He's infinite. He has no limits. We are Infinity Church based out of Ephesians 3.20 that the NLT translates, God can do infinitely more than all we hope or imagine. The reason that is true is that God in His nature is infinite. There is no boundary, no limitation to God's actions, to God's deeds in this world, because God in His very nature is, is infinite. God has no limits. But you and I, we got a whole lot of limits, don't we? 
a whole lot of limits. For example, you have a birthday, which means there was a time before you existed. When you were born, that was the first proclamation that you aren't God. That's the way Jen Wilkin describes it in her chapter on God's being infinite. You have a limit. Try as you might, you can only be so tall. Some of us will never dunk a basketball. We always, I just thought that was just a guaranteed thing that eventually you just, as you're growing up, eventually you get tall enough and eventually you'll be able to dunk a basketball. I don't think it's ever going to happen for me. I just don't think it's ever going to happen. Try as you might, you can only be in one place at one time. That's a limitation on your life. There is a limit to how fast you can go. There is a limit to how much information you can know. You can try really hard to hold your breath for a long time, but at some point, you got to take a breath. You are limited in that. You are limited in how long you can stay awake. You can try really hard. You can drink a lot of coffee, but eventually your body is going to shut down and you're going to fall asleep. We have limitations that God does not. What do you do with that? What do you do with those limitations? Do you get frustrated? Do you just get overly ambitious? Do you despair? Do you find some kind of contentment? Or can the very limitations in your life lead you to worship? On the places and all the things that we can't do, and goodness, there is a long list of them. At all the places where we fall short, can we turn and praise God and say, praise God that He is not limited like I am. Praise God that He is in control, that He is in all the places I'm not, that He has, does not have the limitations that I have. Praise God that He is infinite because we need an infinite God. When Isaiah proclaims the, the majesty of our immeasurable God in Isaiah 40, he then gets to verse 18 and says, To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with Him? He asks, do you, do you go to a craftsman and say, Make me a golden image and say, Yeah, I could have God or I could have this thing that we just saw built a minute ago made out of gold and I'd rather have that. He says the, the foolishness of trying to choose a, a golden statue instead of the God who can measure the, all the waters in the ocean in the palm of His hand. Why, why would you do that? And he says, but some of, some of us don't even have enough money for the gold, so we choose a nice piece of wood. It's like he's just throwing salt in the wound. You don't, you don't even have gold. You just got wood. And you're choosing the wooden statue over God? He says, that's just ridiculous. You and I, of course, don't seem to face that same temptation. But I would say our, our temptation's even more ridiculous. Because you know what we put on the, the, the throne of God? It's not a wooden statue or a golden statue. We put ourselves there, do we not? The idol that we most often have to fight against is the idolatry of self. And I just have to picture that, like, have you ever watched a kid who gets a superhero costume and they put a mask on and they got the cape behind them and they come in front of a mirror and they flex and they, yeah, you know? That's like us. <laughs> compared to God. And we pick the superhero costume for five-year-old over God. So I don't think we can make fun of the Israelites for picking the golden statue. We face the same temptation. We're just likely to make ourselves God instead of some statue. Our limitations, uh, our temptation is the same temptation that Adam and Eve faced in the garden. Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent and the serpent's words were, if you, know, if you eat this fruit, you can be like God. That was the wording that he used to Eve as Adam was standing next to her. Just, just come do this, 
and you can be like God. It's throughout this study of the attributes of God, I think that's the biggest temptation. As you study what God is like, we have to recognize we are tempted to try to do the things that only God can do. We see God as infinite. We want to be infinite. And we have to recognize that's not our place. We are not infinite. Instead of our limitations leading us to want to be like God, they should lead us to worship the one who truly is God. Isaiah 40, 25, God says, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. He says, Lift up your eyes on high and see all that I created. He says, Lift up your eyes. Who created these? Who brings out their host by number, calling them by name? And it's a reference to the stars. Instead of looking at the mirror at the five-year-old with the cape, we should be looking at the night sky at all the galaxies and saying, the one who made that, that's a limit. That, that's beyond my limits. I want to worship the God who made that. He says, by the greatness of his might, he made them. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God doesn't, doesn't pull back the curtain on the, on the sky every night, let you see the stars and go, oh, I forgot to put one up. He never misses a star. Never misses a star. God is infinite. He has all power, all wisdom, all knowledge, all holiness, all goodness, all grace, all mercy. He is without limits. And when we recognize that we have limits, instead of being frustrated by them, I think we should thank God for them. We should praise God that we are not called to be infinite. We have 24 hours a day. Don't matter how much money you buy, you can't, I mean, how much money you have, you can't buy more time. We have a certain amount of time on this earth. Psalm 90, we studied this summer, talks about seven decades, eight decades if you're strong, you know. We all have a limit, whatever the number is. God determines that. We can't buy more time. What do you do with your limit? Can you worship God in the middle of our limitations? Can you accept the limitation as a freedom from God that He apparently isn't calling you to do everything? He isn't calling you to be everywhere. He isn't calling you to be infinite because you're not. And He created you the way you are. So can you receive it as a gift? In fact, God goes a step further beyond just, your, the, beyond just the, the very brink of what's humanly possible. And God gives us another gift, another series of gifts, but one in particular I can think of, is He calls you to take a Sabbath. You know what a Sabbath is? It's taking one day off of seven and saying, you know what? I think the world's going to keep spinning even if I don't go to work. I'm going to trust God to be in charge of keeping whatever my world is going while I don't do it. Sabbath is a declaration that I'm not God. And that is a voluntary, that's, that's choosing. I could go to work right now and I'm saying God's in charge, I'm not going. You know what sleep is? Sleep is a declaration every day that I'm not God. <laughs> is a limitation that we cannot make it as much as I try to caffeinate my body to only make it on a few hours of sleep. It doesn't work very long. Eventually, you got to sleep. Psalm 127.2, God gives to His beloved sleep. And to His beloved, He also gives children. And sometimes that works against themselves. But it works out in the end, right? We can rest knowing our infinite God is in charge. We can take a Sabbath. We can take a nap. Praise God for naps. We are trusting He is in control. God is infinite. Now, you take on a study of God's attributes in any number of ways. You could, these overlap and crisscross. So I'm kind of combining three different today. 
So we'll be out of here by two, two o'clock or so. No, I won't keep you long. But the, uh, I, I, want to, I want you to see God's infinitude in, in two different arenas, space and time. So when we say that God is infinite in relation, relation to time, we're saying God is eternal. And we say God is infinite in relation to space, He is omnipresence. Both of these are extensions of and further workings of God's infinite, limitless nature. And again, I want you to see your limits and the invitation to receive that as a gift as opposed to God's being infinite. So God's eternity. We can trust our eternal God enough to live in the present. We can trust our eternal God enough to live in the present. What does it mean for God to be eternal? Psalm 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. From everlasting to everlasting. Eternity past, God was there. Eternity future, God will be there. Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Job 36, 26. Behold, God is great and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. You can't count all the years God has existed. You're not going to count that high. There is no number. He's always existed. Or Revelation 1.8, I like this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord. Perhaps you know that's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. alphabet. He's saying, I was the beginning, and I'll be there at the end. And then he says, uh, says the Lord, who, the one who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. God was, God is, God is to come. He is everlasting. He is eternal. God existed from before there was time and after the world is over and God has wrapped up the world in the way that He sees fit, He will still exist. You won't get to a time where God doesn't exist. So what part of what God meant when God said to Moses uh, with, at the, the burning bush, and God, Moses said, what? i got to have a name for you. What am I supposed to call you? And He says, I am who I am. That's His name. It's the same thing Jesus quoted to the Pharisees in John 8, 58, when, they, when he told them, Before Abraham was, I am. And you're like, wait a second, Jesus, let me get your grammar straight. Like, I went to third grade. Before Abraham was, I was. No, no, no. He said it right. Before Abraham was, I am. He is the eternal I am. God is the creator of all things, including the creator of time. Now, this might be mind-bending. Like, stick with me. I know we did Trinity last week. I believe in you. You can, you can stick with me here. If God is the creator of time, that means he can see all the time at once. You ready for this? this is that Mark Jones, one of the um, books we're reading, he, he uses baseball as an illustration. We go to a baseball game, we see the first inning, then we see the second inning, etc. God can look at the baseball game and he can see the first inning and the ninth inning at the same time without conflating them to be the same thing. He can see them as distinct, but at the same time. Now take all of human history like that baseball game, and that's how God sees time. We got it, right? <laughs> I have no idea how that works. I have no idea how that works. But if God created time, that's, that's, that's how that works, somehow. He is outside of time, but He's also inside of time. He continues, the Bible is just full of God interacting with His people within time. And it's unbelievable. I, can't, I don't really understand that at all. We trust that's a really good thing, that God is not bound by time. I'm late all the time. You know how often God is late? Never. He's never late. He can see all the time at once. He, he can't be late. He sees it all. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything. He's never late. Praise God. He is not limited like we are. 
We, by, on the other hand, are limited by time all the time. 24 hours a day, certain number of decades. We don't know how long it's going to be. As Psalm 90 continues, we studied this summer, and says, Teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. He says, you, you don't have forever on this earth, so count your days and make your days count. What are you spending your time doing? It is a myth. It is a lie. It is a, a temptation to be like God if we think, I got forever. You don't. We get one life. We get one life. What do you do with your time? How do you invest your time? What are you investing in? What matters? What's eternal? What will be everlasting? Where do you spend your time? We only get to live in the present. And I'm, I don't exactly know the, the history of these words, but it seems like a pretty nice English coincidence that the word present means right now and a gift, right? I, I don't know how God orchestrated or whoever figured that out. I don't know. I don't know if that's God or just coincidence of English language, but it's nice, isn't it? We only get the present. You know what you can do about the past? Nothing. You know how much uh, you can go to the future and fix things up and get us re get it ready for us? No, you, you can't do that either. You only got now. You and I can only live right now. So with the past, we've got to be able to say, I, I'm going to learn from it. I'm trusting God with it. You know who is in the past? God. He's there. You know who's in your future? God. He's there. You can plan for it. God, certainly we should plan. Certainly we should make you know, get things ready, whatever else it may be. But we can't control it. It is outside of our control. The future, the past, they're outside of our control. We have the present. And if we trust that God is eternal, we can live in the presence, in the present right now. Don't waste our days dwelling in the past. Don't waste your days longing for the greener pastures of the future. Live here and now. If we're lazy, that means we are squandering the present God has given us. If we are overly busy, and always rushed, then we're, that, this is me, I'm just going to raise my hand here, here's me, always too many things on my list, always, always too many things to do, always running late. What, well, the lie I believe is that God hasn't given me enough time. I'm acting like God is somehow shorthanding me. I've been shortchanged by God. Like, okay, God, I'm supposed to do all these things, so surely you meant to give me 36 hours today instead of 24. No, he, he only meant to give me 24 which means apparently I'm not supposed to do all these things or something, something's supposed to change, right? I'm, I'm acting as if God hasn't given me enough. When we're busy, when we're rushed, when we're overstressed, we are practicing idolatry. We're saying, I should be God. I should determine all the things I need to do. I'm in charge of my time. Nope, God's the one from everlasting to everlasting, not us. God's eternal. He can handle time just fine without you and me. He's been doing it for a long time. And will always. We're called to live in the present. Our eternal God, if we trust Him enough, we can live now. Similarly with God's presence. The other way, God is infinite, not just in time, but He's infinite in space. You never get to a place He's not. And where we use for that is He is omnipresent, all present. We can rely on the presence of our omnipresent God. What does it mean for God to be present? We read Psalm 139 a minute ago. Where shall I go from your spirit? The psalmist is saying, can I get somewhere and God not be there? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend, up to, ascend to heaven, so if I go high, can I go far enough up that I, don't, that I get out of God's presence? No, he says, I'm, you're there. He says, I make my bed in Sheol, which is a reference to the grave, going down. Can I go down and get away from God? No. 
He says, if I take the wings of the morning, which is a reference to the sunrise as it comes through the clouds, these big, beautiful sunrises, the, the rays go out across the sky. It's because of the wings of the morning. If I go as far to the east as I can get, am I somehow going to get away from God's presence? No. And he says, if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, which was in Israel, the sea was to the west. So east to the west. And can I go far out to the sea and run out of God's presence? No. He says, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Or Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Omnipresent, all present. There's not a space, there's not a place, there's not a location that God is not there. One theologian wrote, God is neither shut in any place or shut out from any place. That is, you can't box God up somewhere and move him over there so I don't have to deal with God. You also can't box yourself in somewhere and say, I'm keeping God out of this space. God is everywhere. Augustine wrote that God is not spread through space like light and air. And the way you would get only a little bit of God here and there. You know, like so some, some of God over here, some of God over there, a little bit of light here, a little bit. You know, God is fully present in all of his places and, and everywhere in the world. So wherever God is, he is fully there. So you're not going to catch God like semi you know, on his bad game because I'm only getting attention from his right hand because his left hand was busy over here and I was able to weasel out of something because he only had one hand to hold on to me, you know? God, God is fully present in all places at all times. And again, that's not true of us. We can be in one place at one time. I'm here now. That's it. it means I'm not visiting Alex in Mexico. I'm not vacationing in Hawaii well, I guess all the fires, maybe that wouldn't be a good place to go anyway. But like, you know, we, we're, we're in one place right now. One place, that's it. God is all those places I'm not, but I'm here. You're here. This is where we are. And that, apparently, is how God designed us to be. Adam and Eve were that way pre-fall. They were in one place at one time. So God intended His creation to be that way. And that is a gift, is it not? That is a gift. I am grateful, as grateful as anybody, for FaceTime. I'm very thankful that if I'm traveling away from kids or something, I can see them. But it's not the same. And even if when technology gets to be this hologram thing and whatever else, it's still, I still can't hug them if I'm not there. You're in one place at one time. The lie of technology is you could be everywhere and know everything all at the same time. But it isn't true. You can be in one place at one time. And if you and I can only be in one place, that means that limitation is an invitation to depend on God's presence. And here's at least a few ways I could think that's possible. Where, for wherever we're not, we can trust God is there. Some of us sent kids to school this week or last week, right? You know where I'm not? I'm not in my kid's fourth grade classroom. And that can be a little terrifying. But you know who is there? God. Okay, if you homeschool, you can delay that for a little while. But eventually, they're going to be somewhere you're not, right? Eventually, our kids are going to be somewhere, and I'm not there. And that's overwhelming. Apparently, God made it where that was, there's a, he, he designed us that way. We can only be in one place. If you get more than one kid, I mean, you know, you can follow one kid around for a while, but you see how the, there's limitations. Like, they're going to be somewhere we're not. We're going to have to trust 
God to be somewhere. Let Him be God and me not be there. God is there. We can trust Him. We can depend on His presence. And wherever we are present, we can trust that God's not too busy in my fourth grader's classroom to be also be present with me. Right? God is here and now. And depending on where, what's going on, that may feel different. It may have a different experience of that. If you, are, if you are lonely, reminding yourself, being reminded in God's Word of His presence can be a great comfort. Can it not? Is it, isn't it good news that you are never alone? The world wants to tell you you're alone, you're isolated, you have nobody and nothing. And God's Word says that is never true. God is always with you. What a great comfort. But depending on what's going on, you may not want God's presence. You may be trying to hide from God. God's presence can be comforting and God's presence can be convicting, is it not? If we try to hide from God so we can hide something from Him, it never happens. You can't hide from God. Or maybe you're trying to take on something that seems difficult and challenging and God's presence can be empowering. How many times does the Spirit of God show up in the Word of God and something amazing happens? Was it that God wasn't there before the Spirit showed up? No, God's always there, fully present. But God empowers us in our time of need to do the things He calls us to do. Your limitations in space and time are invitations to depend on God. Do you rely on God's presence here and now? Are you relying on your own strength? Are you hiding from God? These are ways we are trying to limit God. But our limitations are an invitation to trust Him. One final comment on the limitlessness, I think that's a word, limitlessness of God, especially as we approach the Lord's Supper. Last week we celebrated, rejoiced over God's triune nature, that He is three in one. As we follow that up, thinking today about God being infinite, I hope you know that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, He too is infinite. God the Son has always been God, which means He has always been eternal. He has always been omnipresent. He has always been infinite. But in the most remarkable act of grace ever, the one who has always been fully God took on human nature and willfully limited Himself to earth. If you were God, would you ever do that? What a sacrifice just to come. But Christ came and took on limitedness to set us free from our greatest limitations. Just as we worship our limitless God, I want you to worship the limitless Son of God who overcame our greatest limit. One of the most astounding truths of an infinite and triune God is that God became finite. They could touch Him. They could see Him. He had a body and still has a body as He is risen and at the right hand of the Father. God took on, the one who is fully God, took on human nature so that He could come and experience, and we could see Him experience, all the limitations of humanity except for sin. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. This is God. He came and took on flesh. Colossians 1.17, speaking of Jesus, says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word became flesh. He came and took on flesh. Why did He do that? Being fully God, and now assuming human nature, being fully man, He came within our limits, 
and He came to set us free. Our biggest limitations is that we are bound by sin. We cannot overcome sin on our own. And because of that, we are bound by the grave. We cannot overcome the grave by ourselves. But when Christ, who is fully God and fully man, went to the cross and died, the Son of God Himself died, the infinite God Himself went in our place and He died, that means He paid the eternal debt we owed. And when He resurrected by the power of Spirit on the third day, He overcame the, de- the grave. He took the greatest limits we have, sin and the grave, and He said, these do not hold you anymore. You and I are not eternal because we have a birthday. But because of Christ and His accomplishment for us, we can be everlasting. We can be with God forever. You had a starting point, but by the power of God, you don't have to have an ending point. Isn't that incredible? Your body will die. And actually, everybody is now immortal, either with God in heaven or suffering under the wrath of God in hell. And because of what Christ did, we have an invitation, an opportunity to have everlasting life with Him. That's the beauty that we celebrate in the Lord's Supper today. Worship the limitless Son of God who overcame our greatest limits.